Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Ken, welcome on our continuing journey through the U.S. Constitution. Hey, Trey, it's great to be back. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about on the weekend show, everybody gets to kind of have us for a trifecta of shows. I, I love it. Uh, so this is the uh, second in our three-part, and you know we're going get to get to get through a bunch of the Constitution. And so last week, what we were dealing with was the first portion of Article 3. So we got through Article 3, uh, Sections 1 and 2, and this week what we're going to get into is the treason section. We're going to be getting into Section 3. We're going to finish that out. And then we'll move over uh, into Article 4, and, and we'll undoubtedly not get done with Article 4 today, uh, but we'll at least set up and, and get into Article 4. Uh, so, Ken, why don't we start here? I will do what we always do. I'll read our first section. I'm going to be reading Article 3, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution, which says, Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of witnesses to share the same overt act or on confession in open court. The Congress shall have the power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall uh, work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. So, I mean, it's... Section three, we had been talking about this as we were getting ready for the show. It's not a lot. It's not as if there's a ton of cases that deal with this. We don't have a lots of issues of treason. It is unique in the sense, though, Ken, that this is uh, the only portion of the Constitution where the crime is expressly defined by the Constitution uh, rather than via statute. Um, and, you know, both of us. Uh, had talked about, you know, really one of the earliest and probably the most important cases that deal with this portion uh, of the Constitution uh, 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 comes from Ex Parte Bowman, uh, where we have the alleged plot by uh, former Vice President Aaron Burr. Now, I mean, again, I don't know how much everybody knows about the history of this, but there's some pretty strong evidence uh, that while uh, uh, Burr was Vice President, he was actually out trying to get his cronies uh, to start a, a revolution against the United States. And part of the reason he's all isolated and upset was, you know, we talked about this in Article 2 was, right, he kind of thought for a minute he was going to get to be president when he was running for president uh, uh, with Thomas Jefferson. Uh, and instead, of course, we have the, uh, the crisis of the election of 1800. Um, uh, but that gets him kind of politically ostracized from the uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson administration. And so he potentially, you know, there's a lot of evidence. That actually, he goes out there and starts maybe recruiting troops, procuring maps, drawing up some plans uh, uh, to overthrow the United States. And uh, his two uh, um, 
buddies, you might call them. I don't know, that's right. The surrogates, you might say. Uh, they'll, they'll end up coming up on the first charges ever of treason, although it doesn't actually end up to work out. Marshall uh, will end up arguing that just conspiring to commit treason is different from, in his words, you know, the actual assemblage of men for the purposes of executing a treasonable design. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, about the clause or about the the Burr case or oh either both, one either yeah. one I'm, I'm, okay <laughs> yeah so I think the I think the the big concept in the clause is that um, it doesn't fully define the crime of treason there actually is a treason statute as well which is um, section twenty three eighty one of of the criminal code which is title eighteen of the and, U S code and when does and this is what I'm actually ignorant on so help me when yep. does that code portion go into effect because there's a long period of time where you know, it's not part of the code. When does that happen? Do you know that? Well, I, I know that this current language comes from 1948. Um, okay, I don't okay. know. I don't know whether um, there were predecessor statutes that or, or not. Um, but the but the the constitutional language um, uh, it it um, it puts some limitations on on what how the defined how the crime of treason can be defined. So it sort of says um, because as you read, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them um, uh, or uh, in adhering to their enemies or giving them aid and comfort. It's saying you can't have treason be something less than that. So for instance, um, you know, let's say Congress, you know, wanted to define treason as, um, uh, you know, trying to, trying to, um, uh, let, let's say something like January 6th, Congress yeah. wanted to tr define treason as um, using violence to try to overthrow the government. Um, the, the idea would be, well, um, that, um, you know, you, you'd, you'd have to um, have some element of foreign enemies involved in that. So if it was a purely domestic plot, then that that wouldn't be treason. So we actually have a different crime for that, which is called sedition. And that, that's the crime that um, uh, Stuart Rhodes was recently uh, convicted under. Now, um, I'm curious about that, too. Can I had thought about this and. Do you think part of the reason we have that defined in Article 3, Section 3, is because we wanted to give wiggle room to the possibility of eh, overthrow in, 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 in cases not being viewed as treason, right? Because otherwise, what we did was sort of treasonous, right? <laughs> but yeah, the, I, I but think the Constitution says, well, that's yeah. not really treasonous because there's no foreign element, right? If you're doing it all internally, right. that, that's potentially justifiable philosophically. Yeah, I mean, right. The, the Constitution itself um, overthrew the Articles of Confederation. Um, so there's an element of, um, well, we had a government. We had the Continental Congress that was created under the Articles of Confederation. Um, th our founding fathers decided to scrap that, um, you know, from outside. They didn't use the, the method within the Articles of Confederation to change it. Which we're going to uh, get to when we get to the end of the Constitution, which is the yeah, kind of yeah. the secret clause. Well, one of my favorite. Yeah. Anyway, continue, continue. Right, right, exactly right. Yeah, because under the Articles of Confederation, amendments required unanimity. They never had a hope of a unanimous vote to, to amend it, and or at least they didn't think they did. And so they just um, scrapped it. Um, right, and that the could be seen. Yeah, that could be right. So that could be seen as having overthrown the government, um, or even as treason against the articles. But Section Three of Article Three is saying, well, that can't count as treason because there was no levying of war, there was no giving aid and comfort to a, a foreign country that's an enemy country. Um, so you need to have those elements involved for something to be treason. So again, it, it's 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 not saying exactly what is treason, but it's saying if Congress tries to define treason in a way 
that doesn't involve um, the levying of war and that doesn't involve uh, giving aid and comfort to foreign enemies, then that's an unconstitutional uh, definition of treason. Um, it also, the second sentence um, erects some pretty high evidentiary barriers, that there needs to be a lot of evidence to convict somebody of treason, uh, because there has to be testimony of two witnesses to the same um, overt act, um, or alternatively, um, if the defendant confesses in open court. Um, but but there can't be, um, if, if there's only one witness who testifies to an overt act, uh, that's not going to be enough to, to convict somebody of treason just as a matter of law, um, even if the jury would credit the witness's testimony, um, uh, you know, unless the unless the defendant actually c confesses in open court. And even if the defendant uh, confessed somewhere else and, and the prosecutors want to say, well, we we have evidence that he made a statement, maybe even, you know, they didn't have TV then. But, you know, today we might have TV footage of, 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 of somebody making a statement. Um, but if they take the fifth when they go into court and they won't repeat that statement, then their own statement um, uh, can't be a basis for convicting them of treason either. So between the idea that the, you know, the acts have to be fairly circumscribed acts, they have to involve levying war and they have to, or they have to involve giving aid and comfort to foreign enemies. Uh, and there has to be two witnesses or a sworn confession in court um, that, that the acts actually happened. The, the big goal there, and it seems to have been completely satisfied over time, um, is that it's, it's very hard to convict anybody of treason. Um, and very few people ever have been. And I think the point of that really was largely to protect the democracy, that they didn't want the government um, kind of entrenching itself. And then, um, you know, we, we always have an opposition party. They, they didn't want, um, you know, people who were trying to um, use ordinary electoral processes to overthrow the, 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 the party in control um, to, to be accused of being treasonous. Yeah, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a court case, Kramer versus the United States in 1945, that kind of lays, I think, agrees with that view, which basically says in this case, look, even if you are doing things uh, that might be in a line with a foreign enemy, that, that's not treasonous unless there is an intent to betray and, and that you have to have some kind of connection or cohe cohesion with that, uh, that external actor as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the Kramer case, I, I only learned about it this morning from you, and I actually wasn't familiar with it. But uh, it's, it's a 1945 case involving uh, an American, uh, a German-born um, American citizen during World War II um, who was um, uh, associating um, with the, the, uh, the German submarine saboteurs. Um, and I don't, I don't know if our listeners know about the, the German submarine saboteurs. They, they produced their own, they produced their own case, ex part Quirin, which also went to the Supreme Court. But um, one thing that Hitler did um, uh, in 1942 was he recruited in Germany um, for Germans who had lived significant amounts of time in the United States. And he found eight of these guys, each of whom had lived a minimum of 17 years in the United States already. And he put them into two submarines. One landed uh, near Long Island uh, in New York, and one landed uh, in Florida, um, and they were sent with a, a missions mission to go uh, commit um, acts of sabotage at American industrial facilities. Um, and uh, in fact, they were the two groups were supposed to rendezvous uh, right here in Cincinnati, where, where I yep. am. Uh, that was the, that was their meeting point. Um, but uh, it, the plot never got anywhere because most of the Germans who came over in the submarines and were, who were people who'd all lived in the U.S. for at least 17 years, um, as soon as they got here, they had a, a variety of, um, of um, individual secret agendas ranging from um, just like 
not doing it and staying here <laughs> yeah. in the United States to um, to, you know, actually informing the FBI about it. And, uh, you know, two of these guys, two of the eight um, had a very hard time convincing the uh, FBI that they were for real. So, you know, <laughs> yes. they, they, they went to the FBI office in New York. You know, they said, you know, we just got off a submarine from Germany. We've been sent here to commit sabotage. Another another submarine landed at Florida. All eight of us have all these marching orders. We're supposed to meet in Cincinnati. And the, the New York FBI office, like, literally refused to talk to them and threw them out and thought they were, you know, crazy people. And they they one of them took a train down to uh, D.C. and actually demanded to see J. Edgar Hoover and eventually got listened to. So they, they rounded up um, uh, all, all eight um, based on that. And, and so no, none of these sabotage plans ever happened. Uh, the, the eight of them were tried in a military tribunal. And the question of whether they could be tried in a military tribunal was decided by the Supreme Court in the ex part Quirin case. Um, the Supreme Court sustained it. They said um, enemy combatants who are engaged in war crimes um, are subject can be subject to military justice um, and don't have to have civil trials. Um, but then there's there's this side case that, that you drew my attention to, the Kramer case, where Kramer was one of the Americans who you know was unaware of the Hitler sabotage plot. Um, was a, a German American living in America, but he was someone that was known to some of these German submarine saboteurs. And when the German submarine saboteurs landed, um, they they reacquainted themselves with Kramer. He was like their old their old friend, um, and they got him um, to help them with certain things that they needed um, to to carry out the sabotage plot. You know, these were a couple of the handful of saboteurs who right. were who were interested in actually sabotaging, actually sabotaging, right? And so he he helped them a little bit. And he was tried for treason um, and uh, convicted in the federal district court in New York. And his conviction was sustained by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York. But he took his case up to the Supreme Court. um, And the Supreme Court ruled um, that there were not um, actually two witnesses who testified to um, overt acts and that the, the meetings that he had um, were uh, capable of um, innocent or guilty explanations and couldn't be seen as overt acts, uh, and that there weren't um, two witnesses that could tie him to any overt acts of sabotage. And so that was an example of really what you and I were both talking about of the court, you know, keeping that bar very high in terms of being able to um, convict anybody of treason. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to think who would be the who would be the last person convicted of treason. I don't know because you know um, so the, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, even even Aaron Burr's co-defendants, Bowman and Swartout, who you talked about, um, you know, they were convicted, but the Supreme Court also reversed their convictions. Yes, so, that does not go yeah, forward. Yeah. 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 So so just just like with Kramer, um, you know, 150 years later uh, uh, or 140 years later, uh, um, uh, yeah, Bowman and Swartout. So they yeah, because uh, Burr and Burr's plot was pretty amusing, too. Like not only was Burr first like seemingly trying to you know, organize a a violent overthrow of the U.S. government and to establish himself as a king. Um, But when that failed, largely because um, one of his associates uh, also ratted him out. So it was uh, just just like with the later German submarine saboteur plot, um, uh, uh, Bowman had a guy named um, uh, Wilkinson who was involved. And Wilkinson Wilkinson told President Thomas Jefferson all about the plot. And so Burr had had to run away and not try to pull it off. And he ran away all the way out to what's now Utah, and was then in Mexico. That was then in Mexico. And uh, um, he started, uh, um, uh, 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 even out there, uh, meeting with agents of the King of Spain about whether they'd be willing to help set him up as a king out there 
in um, uh, Utah, which would become a proxy state for Spain, and maybe one day a, a staging base to stage war against the United States if the United States tried to expand west. And well, I'm going to pause kinda... you right there, though, Kim, because it actually brings us to the end of our ad-supported executive show preview. So if you'd like to hear the rest of the show with myself uh, and with Ken, uh, you're going to need to head to patreon.com slash politicsguys and become a supporter of the show. And one of the great things you get is these long kind of takeaways from the news cycle uh, where this for what we've been doing now for uh, for the year for Ken and myself, at least, has been to go through the U.S. Constitution and, and this uh, conversation about Article 3. We're going to finish that up. We're going to be moving on to Article 4. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you can head to patreon.com slash politics, guys, uh, where you can become part of that uh, interaction. You'll also get other potential benefits depending on what you uh, decide to listen to. You can also get ad-free versions of the, uh, the, the main weekend show. Uh, you can get access to us on Discord, where we, ha- we go into more detail and interact with uh, listener questions on a variety of topics. It's just a wonderful space. I really love that. Uh, but again, the most important, if you're listening right now, you might want to know, well, where does this end? Or maybe you'd like to go back and actually listen to all the episodes uh, that we have done, starting with an overview of the Constitution. If you want to do that, you're going to head to patreon.com slash politics, guys. You can also support us on Venmo, where we're at politics, guys, or you can support the show through PayPal. However you like to do that, all of those support links are in the show notes, so just scroll on down. Click more and you're going to see them all right there. Or if you'd like to do it in your web browser, you can go to politicsguys.com slash support and unlock the rest of this. And of course, all the previous episodes Ken and I have done and that Mike and Jay have done and May and Jay have done. So we'd love for you uh, to be a part of that. Now, if you'd like to get this midweek show, but you're just not in a position to financially support the podcast right now, that is not a problem at all. Please just send an email out to Mike at mike at politicsguys.com, and he's going to get you set up. Now, whether you're a supporter of the show or not, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, or push the show out on social media of your choice. That makes everything a lot easier for us. Now, if you've got any kind of questions or gripes, anything you'd like to share with us, you can always email us at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You'll again find all of those links down there in the show notes. But again, to hear the rest of this show, head to patreon.com slash politicsguys and at least hit the $5 level of support. The executive producers of The Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, Don Oglesby, and Ivan English. We'll be back with a new show this weekend, and I hope you'll join us.